0: Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay. You may know me from the Movie Proposal podcast. And with me is our first-time filmmaker, Christian
1: Taylor. Hey, Josh Lindsay. How's it going? Uh, It's going great. Today is a super exciting day. Oh,
0: fantastic. I can't wait to hear why. And also with us is Jason Rugg, our sound extraordinaire guy.
1: Hey there. And he does lots of other things. He does lots of things. <laughs>
0: so, um, And today we're going to have a fun podcast diving into, what do you call them, fan questions?
1: Yeah, we were going to sort of move on down the track of all these episodes that we had planned out and learning how to make a behind-the-scenes documentary. But we um, asked on social media if anybody had any questions, so we'd love to answer some of our fan questions and give a shout out to the fans that asked them. So uh, Jason's going to read our questions to us today, and uh, you can have, you know, if you have any follow-up questions, you know. Let's do it. You can be the everyman that I usually am. (laughs) All right.
2: All right. So this first question is from Ashley Essary? Essary?
1: Ashley Essary. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for being a fan.
2: What is the most shocking or funny story you heard while interviewing for the film?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I've you, heard so many.
2: You should do both, funny and shocking. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, the shocking one was hard, uh, the, but the first thing that popped into my mind was I did not understand um, how much the GIs used their helmet and for how many different purposes they used it for.
0: I already know where you're going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, did you know that they used their helmets as a stool?
0: And they used a helmet for stool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wasn't going to go oh, straight I'm sorry. Well, there. It was going shocking, I, I right? wasn't going to go straight there, but that is what is so shocking. I mean, when you're down in a foxhole and, you, you know, you, you're there for many, many days, what are you going to do when you got So this is go? not
0: like in the middle of battle, obviously. No,
1: this is in the middle of battle. You're just sitting there? When you're in a foxhole and you're being – imagine them being in the Battle of the Bulge and them being constantly shelled. Wouldn't you want your helmet on? You would want your helmet on, and it would be on your head, and you would be in your foxhole, but, but sometimes during the night, there's no shooting. Oh, okay. Or sometimes there is shooting, and you may have to go, and so you take off your hat, you do your business, and then you throw it out of your foxhole. Yikes. At least that's yeah. what I'm told by these GIs that I, I've spoken I've like. heard that,
0: too, before as yeah. well. That's So I that's
1: had fun. never thought about that problem, so that was kind of shocking, and um, – then, uh, you know, there are lots of other things. This one veteran, George Mullins, told me he was in the middle of a firefight and he looked down and he saw this huge insect burrowing into his skin. Uh, yeah. That was pretty awful. Um, you know, and then they'll tell you about uh, different things that they saw and that they encountered. One of the ones that um, someone vividly told me what it smelt like when mm. they got to a town and it was a farm and there were just dead animals, at, you know, anywhere. And actually, I don't know if you've seen um, They Never they never Grow Old or They Never Will Grow Old. It's the, the Peter War Jackson World War, War One. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there was a veteran in there talking about the same thing. You could just, that smell of death.
0: Wait, were they dead? dead because like they were shot dead yes. by okay
1: because they, the um, allies were shelling normandy just for a really long time either overhead bombs they were dropping I see. or f- from ships from you know out there and then you know one of the shot this now i'm glad i'm talking about this because now i'm remembering the sh- the one that broke my heart um, we were on Breakor Manor. Breakor Manor is where uh, Episode One of Band of Brothers tells the story of Dick Winters and um, this Battle of Breakor. We're on the property there, and that property connects with our heroine, Danny uh, Patrice, because her aunt and uncle worked at Breakor Manor. They were there on D-Day. What is Manor? it? Mean,
0: is it, is it an estate it's in a state. It's an estate. Yes, okay. and
1: it was a working farm. It's a cow farm, and. Um, It had been taken over by the Germans, so they were living there. And they had put these four fixed gun emplacements around the property, trained at Utah Beach. Mm. And so um, Dick Winters, this was an objective that they had to destroy those guns. And I don't know if you know, but when he landed, he didn't have any weapons. And he didn't have all of his guys. So he just pulled guys together that he found um, and he figured out how, with a small troop of 12 or 13 guys, how to overpower this German battery and take out these gun emplacements. It's still used today um, as a uh, West Point training tactic. Hmm. So um, it was really an impressive feat that he did. And during that raid, he also found um, German maps that really helped us win that Normandy campaign. Interesting. So uh, that's a super interesting story. We were on this property getting a tour of the property, and uh, the owner now was the son of the owner in 1944, and he was explaining to us what had happened the day after D-Day because there were all of these dead farm animals from all this battle. And the saddest part of it was that the Germans had Commandeered all the horses in the area and they were keeping them on this farm and there were probably 30 horses that the Germans were using and as they were retreating they shot all of the horses and just so the Americans wouldn't have them Really wow. but the sad thing was it meant the French people didn't have them either all right. of their animals which they used for livelihood were gone um, and Danny's uncle had to bury all of those horses oh my goodness with no tools. He virtually had nothing. In fact, when I was there, I saw GI helmets that were made into shovels because they did, didn't have anything wow. at that time. So that was a super shocking well, story. How about a funny one now? A funny one. Okay, a funny one. Mm. Uh, I may have to come Back to that. <laughs> uh,
2: well, this is a documentary you're, you're about war, yeah. so I in the wrong mindset for you. Okay, I got about, it. Oh, I got
1: go. it, I got it, I got it. Just took me a minute. All right. Okay, mm-hmm. so the very first time I was in Normandy, uh, 2015, I'm at Angleville-en-Plan, which is a place where this incredible battle took place, uh, where two American medics of the 101st Airborne uh, saved countless American lives, as well as German and a, a French boy. Um, and in this church of Angleville-en-Plan, they have Left it as a memorial. You can see blood on the pews, you see um a shell hole in the floor. It's an incredible place if you've never been there. Put it on your bucket list. I'm there and I see this GI that is it obviously in his nineties, but he is dressed in his uniform as if it was nineteen forty-four and he's got a stogie in his mouth <laughs> and he's talking like this and Anyway, if you follow World War II veterans much, you'll know I'm talking about Vinny Speranza, who is this very gregarious 101st Airborne Soldier. And um, he tells this incredible story. He was uh, famously in the Battle of the Bulge. And he had been gone for many, many years and then finally was, you know, drug over there by some friends and said, you have to go. And they took him to where he was in the Bulge and they showed him where his foxhole was. And he just couldn't believe it. But over time, he realized it was his foxhole. And um, it was such an emotional day for him that later that evening they went out and they went drinking. And he does love to knock one back now and then. And um, so he, you know, people are talking to him, and he starts telling these war stories. And one of this, one of his war stories goes something like this: There's this big battle raging. They're in this town. A bunch of his buddies got shot up and they're in the church being tended to by the medics. He needed to go and get some, I don't know, either a radio or something like that. And he went to check on his buddy that had been shot in the church. So he goes in, he asks his friend, you know, how are you doing? What do you need? And his friend says, I need some beer. Get me some beer. He's like, where where am I going to get you beer? The the town is blown to shreds. And he's like, go to the bar. So Then he goes to the bar. He goes in. Everything is destroyed, but he pulls on the tap, and lo and behold, beer comes out. (laughs) So he's like, what am I going to do? I don't have anything to put it in. So he took off his helmet. He loaded (laughs) the helmet up with beer. (laughs) And he goes back to his buddy, gives him some beer, pours it in his mouth, and then everybody else wants some. So he's going around <laughs> all the patients, giving them some beer, and they're like, go get some more, go get some more. So he runs out again, does the same thing, fills up his helmet, and he starts going back into the uh, church and as soon as he gets to the door, he looks up, and there's a major there. And he's like, oh, my. He's like, what are you doing, soldier? And he's like, oh, uh, giving aid and comfort to the wounded, sir? And he's like, put your helmet on and get back in there. And so he just turns his helmet upside down. And all the beer goes over me, and he runs back in. You know, this is December now. So anyway, that's a great story. He tells a bunch better than I do, obviously. <laughs> on our Facebook page, there are videos there okay. where, of him telling that story. Oh, great. Okay. So you could go there. All right, uh,
2: so this is another question from Ashley, and it's uh, have you kept in contact with any of the people you've met?
1: Oh, that's a fabulous question. The uh, the answer to that is, you know, we haven't lost contact with anyone that we have met. Um, I have been known to being friends with people from, like, you know— Third, When I was three years old in kindergarten, they're still my friends today. I (laughs) never really let go of my friends. So we are uh, still in contact with just about everybody that we have interviewed on an ongoing basis, and some of them have become... Incredibly good friends, most notably um, the Boucherie family. Of course, we're still very close to them. They and become roommates. They have become <laughs> roommates at times. Um, and then uh, Flo Plana is another one. He was a Frenchman that I met a year ago. He's 27. If you guys are not following Flo Plana's adventures, you need to right away. He has World War II veterans' memories on Facebook and on Instagram, and he's also on Twitter. Um, he is a 27-year-old old guy whose grandfather was taken captive by Germans and shipped off to an, an ammunitions factory work camp in Germany. Wow. He worked there for two years, and then he was liberated by the Allies. But of course, Flo would not be here if it wasn't for his grandmother, grandfather. Mm-hmm. His mother, from the time he was a little boy, would take him to meet veterans so he could thank them. This is from when he was really little. So he has spent his whole life. He got a history degree. He's a battlefield. Field tour guide. He makes monies in, money in the summer giving tours. And if you want him to give you one, just email me info at normandystories.com and I'll hook you up. But he um, gives tours in the summer. And then in the winter, he comes here and interviews World War II veterans. Wow. So I think he's up to about 550 um, veterans. Wow. And um, Last year when he was here interviewing veterans, we connected, and he let us join him on his adventures where I met three veterans and um, just watched him work. It's really incredible. So he was actually just staying at my house this weekend. He was here <laughs> with his father and his fiance, and um, we've now collaborated in several different uh, Things. Most notably, this is so incredibly exciting. We were at Eclectic this weekend. The so restaurant. The restaurant in Wheaton, Illinois. I go there just about every weekend. Um, it's sort of like our cheers. And I know, Jason, you probably <laughs> don't know what that means. Go look it up. Anyway, Eclectic <laughs> is our family cheers. And we're taking Flo Plana and his fiancee, uh, Jenny Post, and his father to experience Eclectic. And we sit down. I mean, we haven't been in there 30 seconds. I haven't even taken on my. Coat and Flo looks at me and says, You think that's a veteran? And I look over there and it's just an elderly guy sitting with a yellow jacket. Usually you can tell veterans because they'll have a hat and right. say a World War II veteran. He didn't have anything that it was just. He was old, (laughs) and and so, but he looked like he was in great shape. Like He didn't look like he was in his 90s. He probably looked like he was in his 80s. And I'm like, no, Flo, I don't think so. He's like, I don't know. I think so. And I was like, all right, we'll ask. So I went to the uh, shop owner, and I was like, do you know if he's a World War II veteran? She goes, no, but I'll ask him. She's been a supporter of our project. God bless Pam. So she goes over there. I go to the bathroom. When I come out, she's like... He sure is. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So his name is George Kleitz. He was thrilled to be asked and to meet Flo. And it turns out he lives five minutes from my house. Oh, my goodness. Less than five minutes. And he had never been interviewed. So Flo and I um, made an appointment to interview him together and hear his story, (laughs) and uh, he landed in Havre, and he was there for the end of World War II. He was in the middle of this firefight and this battle, um, and the next morning, they woke up, and all the shooting had stopped— And they went over a ridge, and there were all the Germans just lined up there with all of their weapons in piles. He's like, they were so organized. (laughs) (laughs) And they just laid down their arms and surrendered. Wow. Um, So it was just that's the kind of thing that once you're in the middle of this project, one story, one person leads you to another one, and you begin helping each other. (laughs) We introduced Flo to people in Normandy that he's never talked to before, the mayor of St. Mary Gliese's son, for example, which was super exciting for him. So um, those are just a couple examples of people that we have continued to stay with, friends with, but, um, but yes. All right.
2: Uh, so we've heard about this one before. Ashley asked this question as well. Uh, But we just want to touch on it briefly. What sparked your interest in Normandy?
1: Yes. Well, we did talk about that last week, I think. You can go back and listen to previous podcasts. Uh, But my son, Hunter Taylor, was in the 101st Airborne Division was selected to go to Normandy to participate as like an honor guard for these ceremonies. And in five minutes, we met Flo and Danny Boucherie. And the rest, as they say, is History. History. (laughs) And on our website, normandystories.com, there is an actual video of our very first meeting and where the birth of Girl Who Wore Freedom happened.
2: All right. Uh, Ashley has another one. Uh, Did making the documentary change any opinions or outlooks on the war?
1: That is a fantastic question. So the most shocking thing, to go back to her original question, in this area that I learned was when I got there in 2015, uh, there were German soldiers there. Wow. I was very surprised to see that. German veterans? German veterans. No, like modern-day so? soldiers, oh, okay. yes. Hmm. In 2015, there were current modern-day soldiers as well. Okay. Each country that fought in these battles, normally it's you know the um, the Americans and the Canadians and the British, and but there were Germans there also. And so I was very surprised about that. Well, as I began to do my research with uh, these people in Normandy, what I found was um, – The Germans were thought of, or the French will explain, the Germans were correct. Hmm. And they've been using this word correct all the way back to 1944 when they would be interviewed and they were asked, how did the Germans treat you? All of them said correct. Now, with a lot of conversations, what I've learned they mean by that was they followed the Geneva Conventions. Like Mm. they followed Mm. what soldiers and how occupying forces are supposed to behave. For the most part, they followed those rules. Mm. There weren't horrible atrocities in Normandy like there were in other places. Now, there were, but it wasn't. The thing that was most oppressing and uh, oppressive, when I would interview the French people, they would say, yes, uh, occupation was horrible. Yes, this time period, it was so, you know, there was such deprivation. But no, they weren't bad or mean. And I'd be like, well, then why are you so excited to be liberated? But the answer to that question is that imagine what it would be like if you had somebody in your home watching every single thing you did. What if they took away your modes of communication? What if you didn't have a TV or a radio or internet and you had to live like that? What if your, you know, modes of protection were taken care of? Back then it was their guns. But just imagine how oppressive that would be if you could only have a little basket of bread for a whole week for your family. So uh, that was— I think my kids
0: could chime up right now and say, we know how that feels.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, so I think what what I know now is that the Germans were not as bad as American movies have painted them out to be. The French would say the occupying forces in Normandy at the time were part of the Wehrmacht. They weren't part of the SS, mm-hmm. and so they didn't want to be there any more than they wanted them there. They were usually older grandfatherly people or mm-hmm. they were injured people or they were the young boys, and um, mm-hmm. they had to just learn to get along. So that was something that was new. Very interesting.
2: All right, so this is the last question from Ashley. Uh, how many people does it take to make a documentary?
1: Well, that depends on your budget, I think, because the more money you have, the more people you can employ. But I will say this, that whenever you go to movies and you see the end credits and you think, oh my gosh, how could all of those people work on that movie? How can there be that much work to do? It is not an exaggeration. Every single one of those people were needed. We have 40 people on our website um, that, you know, have helped us and are continuing to, but there are many more. Some we haven't gotten up on our website yet, some who don't want to be on our website. And so, um, you know, somewhere between 50 and 75 people is what, you know, who's helping us work on this film. Um, But I did find out when we were in Normandy, I took a crew, I think of about 10 Americans and there were four or five French people. So we had like 14 people. Our biggest problem was that we didn't have enough people to do the core things that we needed to do. So it takes a lot of people on our film, even with the ones we have. Many people are wearing many hats. <laughs> so, anyway, would you like to wrap up this section? And uh, I, we may have some more for next week, but Sounds we're good. at like sure. 20 minutes. And so I don't want to bore you guys. Um, but listen, if you are listening to this, you do have other questions. You know, people could come to
0: NormandyStories.com.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Thank you. I was going to ask you for that, but I'm glad you got it <laughs>
1: right. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We really appreciate you following along on our journey. And yes, thanks,
0: everyone, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. And uh, next time on Documentary First, we will continue more of the fan questions. Yeah, it?
1: sounds great to me. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.